Welcome to Good Sex at NYU, a podcast about sex, relationships, health, and mental health in a sex-positive space. So if you're looking for sometimes serious, sometimes funny, and always sex-positive discussions, then you're in the right place. I'm Danielle Elliman, Associate Director of Sexual and Relationship Respect Services at Counseling and Wellness Services. I use she, her pronouns. And I am April Fellers, a nurse and sexual health educator at the Student Health Center. I also use she, her pronouns. We are two white, cisgender, heterosexual, female-identifying clinicians, one with a medical background and the other with mental health experience, who seek to create a space that is inclusive of all identities, backgrounds, and perspectives. Activation warning. The contents of this podcast is about sex and relationships. The topics might be uncomfortable and awkward. But we hope that listeners will sit with their discomfort and consider new ideas and not judge others for their identities, their likes, and desires. The intention is for the conversation to be positive, but at times we may talk about harms, boundaries that were violated, and trauma that has occurred, which can be difficult for some listeners. Take care of yourself. Listen to your body, and if need be, turn off the podcasts. Consider what your body and your mind needs to move through the reaction to difficult content. This could mean turning on a TV show, listening to music, calling a friend, going for a walk, or reaching out to Wellness Exchange at 212-443-9999 or Safe Horizons at 1-800-621-4673. Today on Good Sex at NYU, we are welcoming Ruby Carmel. Ruby is in her last semester of NYU Tisch's Production and Design Studio, where she studies theatrical management, production, and intimacy direction. She works as an electrician, cheesemonger, and community organizer. Other interests include getting lost in stories, dancing, and being with nature as often as possible. Ruby, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners before we get started? And also, can you share your pronouns with us? Sure. Um, yeah. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Um, my pronouns are either she, her, or em, but anything with respect is fine. Awesome. I have so many questions about your bio stuff, but like, I'm, gonna, Same. <laughs> I'm like, let's talk about cheesemonger. Let's talk about mm-hmm. intimacy direction. Like, yeah. So many questions, but like, I'll, I'll move on. We want to try to make this space equitable. Mm-hmm. And so in order to do that, we want to let you know that like, we want to honor your boundaries at any point. There's a question that you don't want to answer, then just feel free to let us know um, and we'll move forward. Um, mm-hmm. But... You know, if you want to turn any of these questions around, feel free to do that. We know that this takes a lot of vulnerability. So if you want us to also be vulnerable in that journey with you, then we're willing to, to be there with you. Thanks. Yeah. So, cool. With that said, can you tell us one thing that you enjoy about being part of the NYU community? Yeah. Um, so I have an interesting trajectory with NYU. I'm a transfer student. Um, so I came to NYU two and a half years ago, and this is my last semester. Um and something I've appreciated coming from like a very small liberal arts school um, is just like how many different types of people make up the NYU community because mm-hmm. it's like 60,000 something people yeah. and that's just the student body. And so the idea that like I come in with a specific set of perspectives and experiences and then I could meet someone who the only thing we have in common is that we're NYU students. Um and the ways in which that like prompts us to be better listeners and be more engaged in learning about difference. Mm. That's 
speaks very much to like what we talk about here on the podcast in terms of, you know, and why we do this, right? You yeah. know, because you might think I have nothing in common with a lot of these people at at NYU, and you might be surprised that some of these other other things that we don't talk about as as frequently might be actual similarities. Definitely, yeah, yeah. So, can you tell us about your first crush or current crush? Is it or was it a real person, literary character, TV character, musician? Yeah, sure. So I think I have a, like a vivid memory and I couldn't really place it like location wise. But in kindergarten, someone I, I, I'm going to say it was on the school bus or something. They were like, oh, do you have a crush on anyone? And I had no idea what a crush was. I was like, <laughs> I don't know what this means. I was like, I think it means you like like being around someone or like spending time with it, whatever. I was like, oh, like there's this kid in my kindergarten class who lets me play with Legos with. And so I was like, oh, I have a crush on this person because we play with Legos together. And I was like, this is not. <laughs> and then like, like in later years, I was like, oh, mm. but that was, I guess, my first official crush. Um, and then like over time, it's been like, oh, like, here's what a crush actually feels like or what this is or like now I'm thinking about this person all the time. But yeah, yeah. I really like, though, that this person let you share they're yeah, Legos with them. With I mean, that, that's a good relationship I mean, honestly, sign, right? honestly, still to this day, I'm like, if you let me play with Legos with you, I'm going to enjoy spending time yeah, with you. Yeah, you share your Legos with mm-hmm. me. Exactly. That is a really good green flag. Yeah. yeah for sure. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit about your journey with personal boundaries and how they intersect with your communication skills and what that sort of experience has been like for you? Yeah, absolutely. So my mom's a therapist. Ooh. So that's my, like, the background I come from is, like, We talk about our feelings. We talk about everything. Everything has some sort of emotional (laughs) impact and connection, which I would say made me grow up with very little sort of shame around feeling things and expressing Mm -hmm. my feelings. And I feel very confident in articulating how I feel. But I also will say that, like, growing up, I was very much like a people pleaser and I Mm -hmm. like to fix problems. So in that, a lot of time it would be like something's wrong like let me take care of it let me fix it and not sort of taking time to pause and be like well is that crossing a boundary for me is this something like I actually want to be doing or not um and like over time and you know being in therapy myself and like talking with everyone under the sun Mm -hmm. just like the idea of like setting a boundary is actually like something that will help deepen a connection rather than like closing Mm -hmm. off Mm -hmm. connections because if I don't set that boundary with someone they have no idea, first off, that like they're violating a boundary, mm-hmm. but like my guard's always going to be up around them because they continue to cross this boundary. And so I'm not going to be able to relax and like be present with them in the same way I could yeah. otherwise. I think yeah. that's really powerful. Um, the being able to set a boundary deepens a relationship. I yeah. just wanted to go back to I think that's just such a good point. And like I really deeply believe this and have a hard time embodying it for sure. <laughs> I definitely like I have a friend who will will call me out for being like when they're like, Oh, how are you? And I'm like, Oh, well, you know, like I had a hard day, but and then I always like will qualify with like, oh, but I'll be okay. Mm -hmm. And then be Mm -hmm. like, you don't have to be okay. Like Mm -hmm. it doesn't it's not going to make the world end if you're not okay. So, yeah. Yeah. And so many times when people say, how are you doing? And we just say, fine. Right. At least you're you're like trying to be honest about how you're feeling. But then you're like, but but it's okay. It's okay. Yeah. It's like, (laughs) I don't want to make this your problem. And it's like, sometimes it's okay. It doesn't have to be someone's to fix Mm -hmm. for it to not Mm -hmm. be okay. Yeah, you, mm-hmm. they can just listen. Yeah. And they don't have to fix. I think that's a, another like really important thing to learn as a listener. Yeah. Uh, and that's part of mm-hmm. good communication, right? Being a good listener to be able to like, I don't have to fix it. All I have to do is listen. And listen is huge. That's the thing I'm definitely still working on yeah. for sure. Yeah. 
How do you see um, communication and boundaries pop up in your sexual or intimate relationships? I mean, for me, that's like everything. That's like number one foundational anything. First, just like I like to be like very blunt and straightforward about things, have conversations like love flirting with people. Flirting is fun. But at mm-hmm. some point, it's like, OK, do we are we actually interested in each other? What are our expectations? I think setting mm-hmm. expectations early. I would rather set an expectation, like do the work to be like, oh, let's like sit down and like talk about expectations, like what we want out of this than like three months down the road be like "Mm, this isn't working Mm -hmm. and like have spent all that time and emotional energy to like then be there so i think that's a big part of it um in terms of like sexual intimacy like i play in kink worlds and like kink Mm -hmm. spheres so like communication is everything there so it's like Mm -hmm. before you are even like i don't know in a space alone together it's like talking about limits and boundaries and all these things of like what is safe Mm -hmm. what is healthy what is like enjoyable for us what is sexy and pleasurable exactly and like aftercare like what's happening for Mm -hmm. an entire interaction rather than just like a moment yeah april and i have talked we had an episode on kinks and we can learn so much from that community and like the modeling even just like i take that because i don't always play in kink and some people do for sure um but like taking that model of like negotiation Mm -hmm. and like consent communication and into like any type of play and intimacy is like oh it's a great model for being able to like have honest straight up communication yeah any Mm -hmm. relationship can benefit from exactly not making assumptions clarifying things yeah it's like getting consent oh how do you unwind great to know for anyone Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. and how do you think that communication comes up when it comes to conflict i mean maybe it's in the Mm. bdsm kink world but maybe it's just in regular relationships how does how do you deal and manage with uh conflict when that comes up in your in your journey i would say like the thing i have been working on for myself is like bringing stuff up when it bothers me Mm -hmm. i feel like if someone comes to me i'm like great let's talk about Mm -hmm. it let's like process Mm -hmm. let's like I want to like own my stuff. Here's things you might not have been aware of that like affected me, but definitely the piece of like, oh, hey, like you crossed one of my boundaries. Can we talk about it? Um, but in terms of conflict, I like I was saying, my mom's a therapist. I, we have an anecdotal story I like of um, some family friends came to visit. And during the time that they were staying, there was like one of them was like 12 or something. And I was you know, a little bit older, but my mom and I got in this argument and like, like fundamental disagreement and just sort of like, really like, oh, we don't see eye to eye on this. <laughs> we had what for us would be considered an argument, but it was truly like we sat in the living room for like two to three hours and just like talked through every single point of like what, <laughs> what this interaction had been, like how it made us feel, like where we were trying to get to. And <laughs> this family friend was like, looking between us just like shocked like i've never seen anyone do this like what is that um that was the first time i sort of realized like oh people don't typically do that when they're in conflict but like yeah i'm i'm very big on like i would like to be called out if i've crossed a boundary like i Mm -hmm. would like to talk about it and like just because like harm has been caused perhaps doesn't mean that like there was malicious intent that you're a bad person that Mm -hmm. like we can't have a relationship but just like the ideas of like acknowledging and owning everyone's part in things and like moving forward with the intention to change that behavior yeah that really sounds like restorative practice yeah i do a lot of that yeah (laughs) yeah yeah i'm doing a lot of that i really like that and i think you're right that not a lot of people approach conflict in that way nor do they have the skills yeah and also like acknowledging like it's a heavy lift Mm -hmm. especially like 
if you've been hurt and like coming to the table to talk with someone who's hurt, like sometimes it's better to just be like, I don't want to see that person mm-hmm. again and like walk away. Yeah. And that's like totally fine, too. But the idea of like, oh, like, is there a world in which like instead of screaming at each other or like gossiping behind each other's back that we just like try to address this in the moment or, you know, take some time and then come back to it? Yeah. Everyone does bring so much to conflict, like their past history, trauma, all of the above. Right. And so it can be really complex when dealing with other humans. Yes. In conflict. So it's good that you Mm -hmm. have some good strategies and skills already set in place. Yeah, I hope so. I'm I'm curious um, to bring in, we, we talked about your intimacy coordination work and, mm. and that seems like something that takes a lot of communication. Yeah. I'm curious if you want to share sort of what intimacy coordination is and, and how communication plays a role there and, and kind of like how you became interested in that. Yeah, absolutely. And like qualifying all of this with like, I'm still studying this. <laughs> so like there's definitely experts who are more knowledgeable than me. But the idea of intimacy coordination and direction is a fairly new, like about a decade old field in theater and film and performance, wherein like if you're staging moments of intimacy, so like simulated sex, nudity, those kinds of things, you bring in an intimacy coordinator to the performance and rehearsal spaces to sort of hold space and make sure that like people aren't being taken advantage of, boundaries aren't being crossed, everything's being treated in like, I mean, honestly, like a very desexualized, very like pragmatic way. So for instance, like I'm intimacy directing on a show right now and a lot of it is just having conversations with the actors who are, you know, performing the intimacy of being like, okay, like, let's talk about physical boundaries, emotional boundaries. Are there certain, like, words we want? Like, we don't use slang for body parts and things like that. But just, like, the idea of, like, really holding a container where it's, like, only the person performing the intimacy can give consent for that. It's not like the director can just be like, oh, and now you kiss. And then, like, they have to. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, how are we going to do this? How are we going to make it safe? Are we gonna, We're going to, like, tap in and tap out so that there's a container for it. Like, different ways of, like, making sure that, like, the care is held and, like, the space is being, like, made for that. I feel like we all need an intimacy coach. Yeah. It's great. It's so fun. <laughs> I'm also hearing that within the confines of an intimacy coach that you're not just talking about physical intimacy. In terms of like union contracts and stuff like that, it's like you need an intimacy coordinator on set when there's simulated sex and when there's nudity. But a lot of people will opt to hire one for like moments of intense emotional intimacy or like Mm -hmm. if there's a show with a lot of arguments or a lot of like family trauma or something Mm -hmm. like that like things that are like really intense and i think a lot of it like we talk about i I do a lot of um role play games as well and we talk about bleed there of the idea of like okay i'm embodying a character and i'm doing this but same for the acting of like i'm doing this stuff as this character and then i'm walking away Mm -hmm. but the body doesn't recognize that Mm -hmm. you're playing pretend or not so it's like okay like how do we unwind and tell ourselves, like, that was pretend. This mm-hmm. is not me. Like, I didn't just shout at someone for six hours straight with intent to harm them. Like, this is a character I'm playing. Yeah. yeah. So fascinating. Because often I think about intimacy coaches for the person who might be also experiencing, like, violence in mm-hmm. a mm-hmm. scene. Mm-hmm. But also I'd imagine that, that the person who is causing the violence. Yeah would need that kind of emotional support as well. So sort of encompasses both characters and how... And different kinds of support. Yeah. It's kind of, it makes me think of like aftercare and sex Mm -hmm. where it's like, oh, what works for me to unwind is not going to be the same as what works for anyone else. And like being clear about like, oh, like I need time alone doesn't mean I had a bad time or I'm ignoring someone. Mm -hmm. It means like I just need to like process. Yeah. That kind of thing. Yeah. 
and everyone copes differently too. Mm-hmm. Both somebody who's receiving violence or, or portraying violence mm-hmm. might deem different things. Absolutely. Might different things. And, and different things might affect someone stronger than others. And like, yeah. I was working on a show with someone who was like, oh, like initially was like, this is totally fine. And then like by like week three or four of doing this was like doing this every day is slowly like wearing away at me. Yeah. And so recognizing like lasting effect too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Since we're talking about intimacy, I'm curious if we can talk a little bit more about how you experience intimacy outside of maybe some of the traditional notions of what romantic and sexual intimacy is, right? Because I think oftentimes we do think of the physical and maybe even the emotional, but I know that there's like experiential, spiritual, uh, intellectual. So I'm wondering how you experience that. Yeah, absolutely. Again, sort of like the way I was raised was very like open to like doing what, like, I feel like a lot of times I encounter people my age or whatever who are like, oh, like, I don't know. I was allowed to, like, feel things or, like, mm-hmm. let myself, like, do things. I've recently sort of, like, been reading works about pleasure activism, mm-hmm. which was mm-hmm. has been super exciting for me. The idea of, like, oh, like, if this feels good and I'm not harming myself and I'm not harming anyone else, then why shouldn't I? Mm-hmm. Like, that idea of, like, pursuing things that bring joy and bring pleasure. Um, so for me, it's like, Oh, like I love intimacy. I love being vulnerable, being close with people, being close with, you know, community, all of that. I think in terms of specific examples, like I this summer spent three weeks at a retreat. I I call it a meditation retreat for short, but it it was um, focused on interbeing, which is a Buddhist philosophy around um, interconnectedness with like all beings in the world. So like in a sheet of paper, you can see like the clouds that made the rain that grew the trees that like Mm -hmm. created this piece of paper. Um, And Mm. so that like in that way, everything is connected and that the actions of any like any one person, any one being will have impact on everything else. Mm -hmm. And looking at that through like a climate justice lens and that kind of thing. But it was um, a community was 14 people um we were like living in tents no technology all of that but like really like the idea of like focusing on community building and they had this um this guideline that i had never heard before of no exclusive relationships so Hmm. the intention being like okay yeah like you're gonna like gravitate towards certain people naturally but really making a point to like not spend all of your time with one person or a few people and like making space to connect with everyone who's there and who's present, which was a really initially when I heard that, I was like, this feels weird. But then like (laughs) embodying it and feeling like, oh, now I feel like I am comfortable being vulnerable with so many more people in so many more ways because of that. Yeah. Sounds like it had a really good impact. Yeah, yeah. I definitely would recommend. But yeah. I don't know, mm. <laughs> well, I like that it's also experiential. It's based on like a spiritual connection. Mm-hmm. And I'm also really loving that you bring up pleasure because I think oftentimes, you know, April and I talk a lot about pleasure being more than just sex. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? We need to like have joy in, you know, our body, but also so many other ways, so many of different levels of, of pleasure that we exactly. overlook, we minimize. It makes me think of like, I, I hear this a lot of like people who are like college freshmen or whatever being like, I'm on my own for the first time. I can like go buy cake for dinner and like nobody's yes. going to stop me. <laughs> and like as an example, like for myself, I often find like, oh, like I love silly things. So like I'll just like go buy bubbles and blow bubbles for love a it. while or like get stickers mm-hmm. and just like put them on my desk. Why not? 
and just things where it's like, oh, like you're grown up, like act mature, whatever. It's like, well, what's that in service of? Mm-hmm. And if it's mm-hmm. I mean, partly not to get all like philosophically, whatever, but like in service of like capitalist workforce and right. like being the idea of like just being valuable for the labor you provide. But also this like what is really making me enjoy living life and, and yeah. being present and what's going to make me feel like more myself. Yeah. There's actually some studies that show, and I can't quote them, but there are studies that show mm-hmm. if you are able to access that childlike state a little bit more often, that builds resiliency. That makes mm-hmm. a lot of sense. That's so nice. I think you're onto something. I'm really going to steal the blowing bubbles Absolutely. because it's been it's so ages fun. since I've or done like, that. <laughs> if you see a playground and like nobody's on a playground, oh, so fun. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. So what were some of the dominant messages that you grew up with about sex and relationships? And, you know, how has this shaped your perspective? Yeah, I grew up in a household that was like very open to things, but just like also just didn't talk about things that Mm -hmm. much. Like in terms of like what I had modeled for me, like my grandmother was the lesbian, my aunt's trip, like my family is very queer and open to that kind of thing. So there was never stigma around like relationship types or styles Mm -hmm. yeah it was like if i were to ask a question i would get a lot of education about it but it wasn't super like brought to me so that was sort of my initial stuff and then like i would say like i grew up in massachusetts so in terms of like sex ed in schools that was very comprehensive comparatively but was still very much like okay like here's like fifth grade you learn like anatomy and physiology and like seventh grade you learn like what a period is and like Mm -hmm. i don't know in high school you learn like contraceptions and like i don't know different types of sex Eh, ish but even like that not very much yeah yeah it's a very biology based biology based i mean a lot of consent based stuff too which i really appreciated Mm -hmm. um but it definitely like wasn't like pleasure focused sex ed it was like okay like here's what sex is, here's how to, like, avoid getting STIs, here's how to, like, talk about consent, and, like, that was kind of it. What? So what are some other things that you've done since since high school to kind of educate yourself beyond some of those basic resources? Yeah, and, and anything that you found particularly helpful? Yeah, so I've been, I guess, out, I don't know, like, I never really came out. I've been queer since I was in middle school. I just kind of was like, oh, yeah, huh, that's a thing, sure. But I remember being in like, gotta be high school or something and just kind of like on YouTube on my like iPod touch being like lesbian sex ed and being like, I've never learned how to have sex as a queer person. I would like to learn this. And YouTube was very unhelpful. Um, (laughs) But also it just like was like no results. And I was like, this seems wrong for many reasons. Um, But just like finding books and stuff to read. Um, I found Instagram has been the most useful sex education tool I've found for myself. I like reading like academic knowledge, but it definitely like takes more effort for me to like start that. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it was like, oh, like it bite sized information that like I and it started with like as algorithms tend to. I was like, oh, like I'll follow a sex ed account. And then it was like recommending others. And I was like, oh, I can learn more about this. <laughs> Great. And I like if I have a hobby or like I enjoy something, I'm like, I want to know everything about it. So then it was like, OK, I think I started like learning about sex ed on Instagram in like early pandemic days. So then I was like, well, I, I need a hobby. Gotta, like, <laughs> learn everything about everything about sex. <laughs> so spent a lot of time down Instagram rabbit holes for sure. So there was some positive results or you know implications of the pandemic. I mean, you know. <laughs> We gotta gotta add a silver lining to yeah, something. Yeah, gotta gotta have that. <laughs> yeah. 
Do you have a favorite or like top two accounts that you follow? Sex Ed with DB was the first one I was I found, but I think that account is less prevalent nowadays. Ask Goody is nice. There's more. I could find more. Well, you can also share them with us and we'll put them on our summary page of this episode. And I would say like the thing about Instagram, especially nowadays, because there's everyone has an Instagram account or whatever. Like and I say this as someone who doesn't use social media (laughs) very much, um, but like I like it for its educational Mm -hmm. purposes. But it's like, oh, like if I want to find like kink education i can mm-hmm. find a, an account like that if i want to find something like there's people who like run sex ed podcasts like y'all and yeah. i was like oh like if i learn through podcasts like i could find more podcasts or like mm-hmm. different things mm-hmm. like that yeah and that's that's good too because it seemed like we've heard from a lot of people previously that didn't have good sex ed that a lot of people turn to porn and a lot of people mm-hmm. just google things and those aren't always the most educational yeah. or realistic and so it's it's good to hear that there are lots of educational and positive resources out there as well. Yeah. And I will say, I will also acknowledge like for myself, I was raised with like a healthy, like academic skepticism of things. So it's like, I definitely Googled things like Urban Dictionary taught me a whole lot (laughs) as a kid, but also then coming to realize like, okay, like I've, I've heard it from this source. Let me verify it. Let me make sure that what I'm learning feels accurate, feels true. Go into it, trying to avoid confirmation bias of like, I'm not going to type a leading question into a search Mm -hmm. engine. I'm going to be like, what are the facts? Mm-hmm. So that's been helpful for me as well. But a also, good skill for all different types of topics. Yeah, for sure. And also like acknowledge like porn is fun or can be fun. I, mm-hmm. I'm not a huge fan of watching porn, but I definitely read porn mm-hmm. um, and being like, this is for entertainment value rather than yeah. for education. Yeah. And like mm-hmm. coming into it with that lens and being like, okay, what can I pick apart of like, this seems fun and this seems like you are a trained athlete. And mm. that's tricky. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love that good, healthy skepticism. Yeah. Yeah. So what or who has played a significant role in your sex and relationship journey and how have they influenced you? Mm, Yeah, absolutely. I will say like I didn't have sex until I was in college, didn't date anyone until I was in college. And the first school I went to was um, a small liberal arts school on the West Coast with the um, unofficial motto of communism, atheism, free love. Um, which was the students took to heart, I would say. And also like being in a space where I'm like, I've always been super queer and super out about it. But like being in a space where like most people are also queer and out about it Um, and being in theater, you know, the theater department's pretty queer in general. Um, So I'd say like just being in that environment was definitely like, oh, like I tend to until I feel like I am an expert in something, not even try to start anything, which is not a great skill. I'm trying to unlearn it because (laughs) making mistakes is a great thing, can lead to a lot of learning and and generative stuff. But being there was helpful to me in being able to feel like, oh, I can try things and they don't have to be super like new or scary or whatever for them to be like, useful um Mm -hmm. or like learning what i don't like is as important as learning what i do like so i think that was like a first like put like the the nudge i needed to start exploring things i will say like a big impact for me was i was in a long distance relationship during the pandemic for Mm. two and two years almost and that was definitely like that was fun in being able to like sort of put into practice things i had learned in theory of like I have a partner I'm having sex with regularly. How do we have phone sex? Like, mm-hmm. what is that? 
What is exploring being in an open relationship? What is exploring polyamory? What is exploring kink? Like in practice as well. Like, and I would say like, if I were to give advice, eh, I don't think I'm qualified, but if I were, (laughs) the idea of like exploring things for yourself and what you like without being in the context of a specific like relationship with other person or other people feels like start there. Absolutely. Um, Find like things you like, but then like, okay, now what? Try it out with other people. See what works in combinations and that Mm -hmm. kind of thing. Yeah. That's pretty good advice. It's kind of similar to the advice around boundaries. Yeah. Sometimes we need to push our own. Like if we get like kind of stuck in our own little box, we're comfortable, we're safe. But are we fully living authentically and enjoying Mm -hmm. ourselves completely? Maybe we need to push it. But also, like, reel it in. If that's not a boundary that we want to, like, you know, engage in, then we've learned that. No, that's huge. I know for myself, especially, like, the first few times I had sex with people, I was like, oh, like, I don't know anything. I'm so new at this. And I don't want them to, like, I don't want to, like, see human experience. So I'm just going to, like, not say anything or, like, not even not say anything, but just, like, I'm not going to, like, have preferences or, like, like anything. And not in a way that, like, I've, I think I've always felt pretty comfortable to be like, hey, I don't like this. Like, can we do something else? Um, but just, like... I had a partner be like, what do you like? And I was like, I don't know. But I didn't want to say that. So I didn't really say anything. And just the idea of like being like on the receiving end of someone being like, I don't know, it's got to be so frustrating. <laughs> and that like, even if it's like, hey, I'm not sure, but I'd like to try something mm-hmm. or just like being able to be like, here, eh, let's try this and see what happens from there. And then we'll modify as we go. Yeah. We've talked about how a lot of times people discover boundaries by doing something mm-hmm. that they're like, oh, I'm not sure if I really like that, but they are, they're open and, you know, and, and maybe something that somebody's never tried before. They're like, okay, yeah, let's, let's try this. And then realizing like, nope, mm-hmm. don't really like that. That has now become a boundary for me. Yeah. And I was just going to comment on the receiving end of someone not knowing what they like, I think that it can also be an opportunity for exploration. Yeah. And to turn people on to things. Mm-hmm. And so long as we're communicative, That's like, let bit. me know if something doesn't feel right, we can stop any second. Absolutely. Like I'm not wielded to like this one thing we have to do. I'm I'm open and like excited to help you explore that. Yeah. And also being like okay to own the like I don't know. Mm-hmm. Rather mm-hmm. than being like this is a thing I need to be ashamed of or like yeah. whatever. Like there's I don't a, need to be yeah. an expert to have a good time. There's that stigma that like we have to know going in. Right. It's like, like I gotta seem like I'm an expert. But in reality, you're with a new person, you're not an expert of that person. We might know technically how parts work, but like <laughs> we don't know what the other person's like pleasure zones and what like gets them off. So we kind of need to ask. Exactly. And also like what I've enjoyed today might be not what I enjoy in six weeks or whatever. Exactly. Like I yeah. know for myself, like things that I have brought, honestly, this is like from like theater work that I bring into my life of like access check-ins are huge for me. Like I have disabilities. So like I can't use my arms all the time. That impacts how I have sex with people Mm -hmm. or like ways in which it's like, oh, like I can't support weight today or tomorrow Mm -hmm. or whatever. And just being able to be like, hey, just because I am saying no to this thing right now, please keep checking in with me about it. Like, these are my hard limits. These are will always be a no. But here's soft limit. Like, here's something that's flexible today. Ask again, like Mm -hmm. reaffirming that like sometimes a no is always a no. And sometimes it's like, Right now, I don't want this. And later, I want you to keep asking me about this. It's a really mm-hmm. good point. Yeah. What does a healthy relationship mean to you? And how did you discover your own needs and wants in a relationship? Ooh, 
Ah, such a big question. Um, I mean, for me, the idea is that all participants in the relationship feel like they are getting something generative and sustainable out of it. They are being respected for their boundaries. They have the space to voice concerns, to give feedback, to receive feedback without fear of like danger to themselves or others. So that at its at its heart, also just like, I don't know, enjoying being in each other's company. That's, mm-hmm. that's big for me. Like any type of relationship being like, hey, I like being around you and want to keep being around you. Yeah, imagine that. <laughs> what a concept. <laughs> um, and then in terms of like, like romantic relationship for me, I'm like, this is the thing I say with my friends a lot of the time. I'm like, I don't want to date someone who's not my friend. And it doesn't have to be like we were friends first, but I'm like, I want to feel like we can be friends and do friend things as well as like be partners and do partner things. And often I find like that line is is very wobbly and like doesn't always. Yeah. 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 And so are there any specific cultural or religious beliefs that have influenced your views on sex and relationship? And how do you navigate conflicts or tensions that might arise with these beliefs? Mm. Yeah. My my first instinct is like no, and then I'm like, well, that's not true, because like, I'm like no, because I don't have religious trauma. I'm like that's a very specific thing. I definitely like grew up with the idea of monogamy, not like imposed on me, but like that was those were the examples I saw. So like coming into the idea of like oh, like I could be in a relationship with more than one person as long as it's consensual and communicative. Like whoa, what a concept. Things like that that took more time to learn. Yeah, I think honestly for me the the big piece is the like trying to remember like i like when other people try things so i should try things Mm -hmm. and like being empowered to be like i'm gonna try something and it's okay if it's it's okay if it ends in laughter on the floor it's okay if it's like hey (laughs) maybe not it's okay if it's just like oh this is great yeah um but like bringing nothing to the table doesn't create forward progress in any direction yeah, so mm-hmm. maybe the cultural norm there is being willing to make mistakes and being not be willing perfect. to make mistakes. I think absolutely. the pressure and of being I, perfect. Yeah. And <laughs> yes, um, yeah, mm. gifted and talented middle schooler. <laughs> yeah. What has been some of the most challenging aspects of of navigating some of those non traditional relationship models, and how have you worked through some of those challenges? Yeah, I think the biggest thing for me, and I will say, like, I grew up in Massachusetts. I now live in New York. Like, I feel like I'm very fortunate to be around a lot of open minded people in terms of relationship models. I think the biggest thing for me is often just like the exhaustion at explaining things mm. of people mm. being like, I don't even like want to give all my pronouns because I don't want to explain how to use them like or things like that where I'm just like, I'm tired. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. But like, I don't want to talk about it. But like on the flip side, being like, oh, like excited at times, like if I have the energy and if it's like the right context to be like, I want to share this with you. So I'm going to like use a word that I think you won't know so that you ask me about it so that we can then talk. But yeah, I think that's the big one. Mm-hmm. Um Yeah, I think then it's like dealing with like societal expectations of how people live their lives and like Mm -hmm. the ways in which things like that, like the idea of like, oh, like we are a married household with two and a half children is entrenched in our legal system and like Mm -hmm. the ways in which we get benefits from work and like that kind of thing where it's like, I don't think I want kids. I don't really have an interest in like formal legal marriage. Like, what does that mean for me? Like, if I wanted to raise a kid with three people, like, how does that look Mm -hmm. on their birth certificate? Like, different Mm -hmm. things where it's like, oh, these are challenges that I'm thinking about that I don't know that other people who don't feel like this type of lifestyle is exciting for them, like, would be thinking about. Yeah, I think that's fair. And good to think about the institutional oppression. Yeah. Yeah. We don't often think about. And a lot of, 
I think too with like the idea of like some is like just oh stigma but like some just being like people don't know Mm-hmm. And like mm-hmm. being able to be like, hey, like just because you don't know doesn't mean it's bad or scary or wrong or doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And I'm thinking about considering what you've shared a little bit just in this question, but mm-hmm. also in other questions. Um, how do you navigate the intersectionality of your identities when it comes to the context of sex and relationship? Because our, we know we show up as whole people in yes. those spaces. And so um, I'm wondering if you can share with us any of the challenges that you've experienced or any of the joys that you've discovered and how those things interconnect. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, it's definitely a learning process. I think, honestly, for me, like the biggest thing has been like rechecking in with myself. I used to, less so now, but like used to be like, this is my identity and I'm going to live with it. And that's going to be like how I present to the world. And then it's like, well, okay, that was my identity three years ago and it doesn't fit as well now. Um, But I've been so loud about it. Like, how can I sort of revise and reset? So like making conscious choices to be like, oh, like this feels right. This doesn't. And like, how much do I need to like wear that as an identity rather than as just like a comfort or like mm-hmm. a way to provide language to things I feel. Mm-hmm. So that for sure, I think being very upfront with potential partners about different things of being like, oh, hey, like, just so you know, like, this is a thing that I'm into or this is a lifestyle that I practice, like whatever that is of being like, oh, I'm dating someone who is also female, like, just so you know, I'm bisexual, like being upfront about those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. So it's like, hey, I don't want you to feel like I'm keeping information from you. I don't want to spring things on you later. Like, I want you to know what you're getting into as much as I do. Like, I feel like if I'm meeting someone new and like flirting with them a little, I'm like, oh, there might be vibes here. Like, I will find a way to work into conversation. Like, oh, like, what are your relationship deal breakers? Like, Mm -hmm. just as like a curiosity, just not a curiosity. (laughs) Um, Just because I'm like, oh, like if we're incompatible right now, what are you willing to flex on? What am I willing to flex Mm -hmm. on? But also like, oh, I'm just not going to waste my time. Yeah. So how often do you talk about sex in general and with whom do you have those conversations? Like, do you so feel like often it's... and with everyone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's, that's an exaggeration. But like, I find that like I've done, I would say like probably more than most of my peers, like independent research on like, I want to know about this and I want to advocate for things. And this is true about sex, but like other things as well. Mm-hmm. But just like, oh, I was talking with two of my friends and like new friends and one of them was like is like writing a thesis on like the intersection of like dating apps and like cultural experience with dating apps or something so like we we had been like we got into a conversation talking about like sex and relationship and dating um and our, our third friend was there and he's an international student and the only sex ed they ever gotten was like the consent training you get like going into college Mm-hmm. And they had never gotten any other sex. And so we were like, hold on. Like, let's let's give you some, like, basics about, like, even just, like, protection and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But, like, also, like, pleasure-focused, like, sex and, like, what is what is it like to be setting boundaries and, like, exploring things for yourself and discovering whatever that feels good to you, what doesn't, like, what you want to be doing. But I would say just, like, to get back to the question, of course, time and place is important to be aware of but i like very much i'm like yeah like i'll talk about sex with people just i met three minutes ago like i don't (laughs) yeah doesn't bother me and i i find that like oftentimes either i'll learn something new or like i will have imparted something new to someone and that's exciting to me Mm -hmm. connecting with you on there i can have it anywhere anytime yeah (laughs) 
And sometimes I have to like honor other people's boundaries. Yeah, that's a big one for me too. I'm like, I'm fine with it. Oh wait, you're not like, okay, I'm going to reel it back. Like I have a couple of friends who are like, don't make sex jokes around me. I'm like, great. I won't. And I'm like, oh, got to remember that. <laughs> I've been at places where, where my husband will, will offer the information. Oh, my wife has a a sex ed podcast or like t- all these things. And I'm like, Oh, okay. I, I'm okay talking about this, but similarly, like, do you all want to have these conversations yeah. right now? And it's okay. We don't have to. <laughs> yeah. uh, how important is sex in your life and in your relationships? And have been there been times when it's been more important or less important? Yeah. Um, not that important, honestly, for me, it's like partly what I'm excited about in like an intimate relationship is the intimacy and closeness. Like I want, to be connected but like i don't know i was talking to a partner over the summer and i was like i care more about cuddles than sex like i want to feel connected to someone i want to have like deep vulnerable conversations with them um but also like part of me is like well like i can make myself orgasm like i don't need to do that with someone like if you're offering sure like could be fun but like it's not something i need or like crave constantly in a way that i'm like oh like kind of hard to make out with myself like i'd I'd rather do that with a partner (laughs) So, yeah, I think that I think definitely over time has shifted for sure. I remember like my first like real like long term partner was ace and acknowledging like asexuality, big spectrum, whole Mm -hmm. big spectrum. But like this person like didn't want anything to do with any kind of like romantic or physical intimacy or not necessarily romantic, but like didn't want to kiss, didn't want to touch like that kind of thing. And at the time I was like, oh, first relationship. I like this person like fine whatever and then like coming into like after that being like oh actually this is something that i like more than that and would like to be consistent in my life i mentioned being in a long distance relationship and like coming into like what does that mean for intimacy and sex and that kind of thing exploring polyamory being like oh like what is hookup culture Mm, don't Mm -hmm. love it but sometimes i do and it's fine (laughs) um but like navigating the different like I think available options, especially in this day and age, and like finding different ways that I enjoy sex versus don't enjoy sex. Mm -hmm. So in what ways do you prioritize Mm self-care in your sexual and intimate relationships? And how does this impact your overall well-being? Yeah, I mean, big piece is communication. So like, if I have a partner that I'm like, oh, like, we're both interested in having sex. Great established that let's talk about it like what do we like what do we not like what are i mean establishing boundaries but also like i establish safe words with everyone i play with and like hey like what does this mean to you because like like a common thing in in like kink worlds is like red yellow green as like a stoplight system for for safe words but like everyone i've ever met has a different meaning for like what is what does this fully mean like red like what does that mean to you also like talking about aftercare is a big one for me for self-care of like I want to know what you need. I also want you to know what I need like after we've had sex because I'm not going to be in a headspace to be setting boundaries and asking for things then in the way that I am now. Mm -hmm. So that's a big one. And then, yeah, like the first time I ever had sex was at an orgy. And I remember talking and it was with a bunch of friends. And I remember talking to some of them afterwards and then being like, I like I had a good time. But then I felt so weird for the days after. I was like, what did you do after? And they're like, I just kind of like laid and stared at the ceiling. I was like, great. I'm glad that I took a shower and drank a bunch of water and got some sleep um, <laughs> and like knew that about myself <laughs> to like do the things that I needed to sort of reset. Yeah, I think that's really good what you said in terms of being in the mind space afterwards. We talk a lot about the importance of communicating before, during and after sex. Yeah. but. 
people think, oh, it's a little bit awkward or whatnot. And, and I think the aftercare specifically, like, might feel awkward, quote unquote. But I think what you said is actually more accurate and in a lot of spaces is that people just aren't in the same mindset and they don't necessarily like after an experience might not be able to express things the same way. So I think yeah. you're, that's so accurate of like thinking about it ahead of time before you're in the moment and being able to express that. Yeah. Like I'd rather have like a slightly awkward conversation over brunch than like, Amen. Yeah. <laughs> Awkward conversations can just lead to better experiences. Yeah. And I was like, in yeah. my experience, like, it's awkward to start the conversation. Yeah. It's never going to not be awkward. Like, sometimes it's like less awkward than other. But like, oh, hey, can we like be formal about this and like write things down and like share yeah. lists and like, I, like, I love a good spreadsheet, but like, it's not going <laughs> to feel natural. But then it's like, once that's out of the way, the conversation tends to flow pretty well. And then yeah. it's like, oh, like we're talking about things we like and enjoy. That's always going to be exciting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned before not being someone who wanted to give advice, but I'm going to ask you to Great. give some advice to your younger self as you were becoming active sexually mm -hmm. or having sexual urges, desires, or becoming you know interested in relationships. Like what kind of advice would you have given yourself? Yeah, definitely taking more time to figure out what I like. The idea of like, oh, I want to start having sex or like being in relationships now. Cool. I have spent so much time making sure that like the other person feels comfortable around me or like I like they can set a boundary with me or whatever. It's like, all right, so now let's flip that around. And like, what is what are things I want to ask for? What are things I want to say? Like, this is clearly something I don't want. Those kinds of things. And then also that sex toys exist. I think I didn't mm -hmm. know that until... I knew it, but like I was like not like, oh yeah, this is a thing I could use and would be fun to use until my twenties. It's a bit of a stigma around some of that too. And I'm not saying that yeah, impacted yeah. you, but I think for me, I was like, oh, only if I'm desperate. And yeah, I and like, I was no, like, like, like I can't use my hands a lot of the time when I have sex. Mm -hmm. I'm like, sex toys, fantastic mm -hmm. invention. Would would recommend. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I agree. But I think like I had a bit of a stigma issue yeah, with that. And I think that mm -hmm. that's just something I had to move past. And I hope that maybe the younger generations are better. But I feel for like sure. for me, like I didn't have access. That's a big and one. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, but like you don't masturbate as as someone with a vulva yeah, because like that's and again all horrible, <laughs> negative. No, but absolutely, like, yeah. And like I, I didn't masturbate until I was like twenty one. I'm just like the idea of like I definitely had a misconception about sex toys being like so expensive and so hard to find. It's like you can get a decent vibrator online in like discreet packaging for fifteen bucks. Mm -hmm. Like. It may not last Didn't you very long, but right. like, but like <laughs> there. you know, I mean, it depends on how much you use budget it. friendly. Yeah. 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 Well, we've, we've made it to our last question. Ooh, excited. What does good sex mean to you? Oh, um, I think to me, good sex is everyone involved, like coming out of the experience, having had a satisfying time and like feeling like their boundaries were respected. And I'm like, like going into it with the intention of having sex. Like, I'm not a big believer in like sex looks one way or whatever. Like, mm. in fact, I don't believe in it at all. Like, I'm like <laughs> sex can look any type of way or whatever you want. But like going into it with the intention of like, hey, this is sex for us. And then coming at it with like, oh, that was a great time. Like, I enjoyed myself. My whoever I'm having sex with enjoyed themselves. And perhaps we want to do this again. Perhaps we don't. But like, we had a good time. Yeah, it, like a positive experience feeling like boundaries are respected. Well, I'm also hearing that in what your idea of good sex is, mm -hmm. is that you're expanding the definition of sex. What yeah. we mm -hmm. think of as sex is sometimes very limited. 
and opening that up to including maybe your cuddles, mm. to including other things. So that way it, it is, this is pleasurable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What kind of pleasure am I seeking For that sure. I'm, I, I can accomplish in this moment? And the idea of like, I know like... <laughs> In high school, back to another story of like in sex ed class in high school being like, okay, sex is vaginal penetration, anal penetration, oral penetration. That's sex. Mm-hmm. It's like, mm, well, I'm queer. I don't know what that <laughs> that looks like for me. So being able to figure out ways of like, oh, like in setting intention felt like a very strong way to sort of denote that for myself, at least mm-hmm. of being like, oh, this is the intention great this feels and like maybe you don't have sex after setting that intention whatever Mm -hmm. but like oh okay like this feels clearer Mm -hmm. yeah and sex can be pleasurable sex does not always like sex does not have to equate pleasure pleasure doesn't have to equate sex it's it's kind of a also also, we get to make all our definitions like especially in the society like the stakes are so high for having sex i'm like i feel like having low stake sex is quite fun yeah. And be like, oh, like, we're going to do this and then we're going to go grocery shopping and it's going to yeah. be great. Yeah. Also, account for some awkwardness. Yeah. Oh, my. Right. Laughing during sex is so yeah. fun. Yeah. Yeah. But, well, thank yes. you so much for joining us today. I've really had a lot of fun, yeah, a lot of laughs you. as well. Absolutely. So I just so enjoy hearing about other people's journeys because I always connect in some way or another. I'm wondering if you can share with us, you know, if there's places where folks can find you, maybe you don't want that. Um, if there work that you want to point anyone into, that would be. Um, I mean, I'll get you whatever Instagram things oh, I don't have in my brain. Um, I don't use social media anymore. Okay. Awesome. Um, Anything else that you want to share on this topic or any questions you want to ask us that we didn't get a chance to? Um, communication is more scary the less you do it. And Mm -hmm. the more you do it, the easier it'll be. And the more models you'll have for how you like to communicate. That's an excellent point. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you. If you have questions about the podcast or anything we talked about today, please feel free to reach out to us at goodsex.podcast at nyu.edu. This email address is monitored during business hours. It may take three to four days for follow-up. We are definitely open to critical and thoughtful feedback as we didn't cover everything in this episode and might have said something that was inaccurate or that had a negative impact on someone. If you have questions about your sexual health and are an NYU student, you can connect with our Student Health Center sex expert at sexpert at nyu.edu or schedule an appointment through the Student Health Center portal. Look at our show notes for additional information and resources, including organizations, articles, books, and videos. If you have urgent mental health concerns, safety issues, or you are worried that someone might have caused harm to you or that you might have caused harm to someone, then you can contact NYU's Confidential Wellness Exchange at 212-443-9999. Chat with them using their mobile app or email them at wellness.exchange at nyu.edu. For anyone, NYU or non-NYU listeners, you can call the National Sexual Assault Hotline at 1-800-656-4673, the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-7233, or the National Mental Health Hotline. Simply dial 988. 
from anywhere in the U.S. Thanks for listening and tune in to our next episode where we continue to talk about good sex at NYU. Subscribe to the podcast to hear all of our quickies and interviews with NYU community members. Thanks to our content contributors for this episode, Bernadette Kerr, Alyssa LaFosse, Dr. Dominic Viney Amisa, Zoe Raguzios, and to our health promotion team, Anna Genova, Jenny Mellum, Parade Stone, and Arna Dixit, and to Gotham Studios and Karen Ortman. 